Hi everyone, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. I'm David Campbell. And I am Jordan Bullock. And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction processes, technology, BIM, and beer. Well, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bring with BIM. As always, I'm uh, your host today, Joe Whitney. With me is Dave Campbell. What's going on, Dave? Hey, Joe. Not much. Glad to be back. Yeah, yeah. Especially with today's guests. Uh, we've got a, a crew from literally all around the world today. We couldn't find anybody uh, you know, interesting worth talking to in the U.S., so we had to go all the way to Hong Kong. <laughs> And we've got uh, the folks from Ideal BIM, Simon Gallagher, Jake Lucier, and Jason Chong. Why don't you guys jump on and introduce yourselves? Uh, oh, thanks for having us on. I'm, uh, I'm Simon. And I'm Jake. Okay, very good. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, that's us. What would you like to know? We're a bit yeah. of a mixed bag. We have a strange crew. Uh, well, I think strange crews make the best BIM folks, if you ask me. But before we get into, you know, backgrounds and all the fun stuff, uh, we like to start off and ask, what are you drinking? If you're drinking anything uh, at the moment, I know it's uh, a little bit early in your time. Yeah, it's about 9 a.m. here, and uh, we started the day with a pineapple lump milk stout from Behemoth mm. Brewing Company, which is out of New Zealand. So it's a pineapple and chocolate stout, which is really great and tasty, uh, especially for yeah. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Heck yeah. We've got a couple of other line, ones lined up as well. Strawberry Sunday. Strawberry oh, Sunday. Mm. So yeah, that's a sour one. So we'll have that maybe later. That's from Scotland. <laughs> uh, that's I'm all about the sours. I, I don't know if I, uh, I'm on the pineapple stout train, but I, I think I can give that a try. It's a weird combination, but it kind of works. It r- works really well, guys. It really does. And it also it helps. It's like, what is it? 6.8, It's going to make yeah. you have a lovely day. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, man. Dave, are you drinking anything, anything, my friend? Yeah, dude, I'm a little sad I'm not drinking as uh, anything as good as what, as what they got over there. But I got a um, – decided to mix it up a little bit. I did some smoking over over the uh, the week here, and I wanted to really try to – you know, throw some water in there and, you know, just leave it in there as I smoked. I think I was smoking a pork shoulder and then I threw it in the freezer and decided to use that in a Terramana tequila reposado old fashioned. So it's been, uh, it's been actually pretty cool. I switched it up from, you know, bourbon or whiskey and uh, decided to try a, you know, reposado tequila, which is, you know, a little bit different, but still I like the uh, smoky taste of it. Yeah, the tequila old fashioned. That's interesting. Um, Terramana is an interesting brand. I, I uh, you know, I n- normally stay away from celebrity endorsed alcohol because uh, you're paying for the endorsement. But the, you know, The Rock put his name on it. It's actually pretty dang good uh, tequila. It is. It is. I like it. It's a good cheap, cheaper kind of tequila. You know, twenty, thirty bucks bottle, and uh, it's got a pretty good taste to it. I mean. It's no, it's no classy Azul or 1942, you know, but it's a good, it's a good sip of tequila. All right, nice, man. Well, I'm uh, low brown and over here. I've got uh, some cheap whiskey. No, not cheap. I've got some decent whiskey here. Um, just bullet bourbon and uh, a little bit of ginger ale to, you know, mellow the color a little bit. Just enough to change the color. Nothing, 
nothing fancy. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely one of uh, one of my go-tos out here is get get the bullet and uh, make a bourbon lemonade or something like that. That's oh, my nice gosh. Here, it's great. Bourbon lemonade, bourbon and lemon lemons go great together. You know what? Actually, speaking of pineapple, uh, bourbon and pineapple juice goes really well together. I uh, ran out of mixers one week and um, I had a bottle of whiskey laying around. And I, my wife had these these cans of pineapple juice that were about to expire. They're probably like three weeks away from the use by date or whatever. Cracked one of those open and started mixing it with whiskey. And uh, that's actually a really good flavor combination. Lemonade though, lemonade is yeah. really good. Good. Uh, so the trail, I, I got used to on the flights on the airport or, you know, on a flight, I realized that a lot of times I can get a Jameson and ginger. And uh, that's been my go to for a little while. Good call. Good call. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like we're just uh, this is becoming an AA meeting here in a second. <laughs> uh, we're like two steps away. Um, <laughs> I guess you got to quit for, for that to take effect. But, uh, you know, let's jump into the goodies. Um uh, Jake, if you don't mind, uh, tell us a little bit about your yourself, your background, and how you got to where you're at. Yeah, sure. So I started out in the U.S. Uh, I was working in Seattle doing uh, retail architecture for a, a pretty large firm there in the Northwest. And then from there, I switched over to, to Starbucks, and they have a robust BIM program. And uh, they wanted some help to build their team out in Hong Kong. So I, I basically signed up for that, came out here. Now it's about... 11 or 12 years ago now, and uh, did that for a while. Then joined a consultancy doing BDC. Then from did that for a couple few years. Uh, just wanted to get into bigger scale projects. Then we started up our consultancy, which is Integrated Design or IDL BIM uh, here at Hong Kong. We've been running that for the last uh, seven or eight years. How about you, Simon? Yeah, I've got a similar background to Jake in the sense that, I, but. Obviously, apart from I'm not uh, I'm not American, but apart from that, um, so I spent my time cut my teeth in the UK working in practice um, architectural. So my background is um, it's a bit of an odd one. My journey, my path is not a straight path to BIM. It's really quite indirect. Um, so I went to art college and I ended up doing interior design, and I went from interior design to architecture and then to uh, detailing, structural detailing, stuff like that. So I'm sort of technical, and I spent nearly 15 years in the UK doing that in various practices, working on various projects. Then I moved to Hong Kong about just over 10 years ago, um, and I, uh, I, I, I didn't have a background in BIM. I wasn't using BIM. I was using like you know, the usual CAD tools, but not necessarily BIM. But I did use ARCHICAD. I was using ARCHICAD in about 2000. And Two, 2003. Oh, actually, we won't hold it against you. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I really like AutoCAD, but uh, no one, hardly anywhere uses it. It's very, it's quite rare to find a place that actually uses it. Uh, and I remember the practice I was working at in about 2004. We had some the reps from Autodesk came to see us, and they showed us this new, this new product called Revit. And I was laughing at it, saying, "That shit, <laughs> AutoCAD's way better." <laughs> and, uh, and you know, and, and then look what happened. <laughs> I was like, that'll never take off. Anyway, so, um, yeah, and then I came to Hong Kong about 10 years ago and uh, had to kind of reinvent myself as a BIM person because that's what the market wanted. So uh, I spent a few years now working. I work for Atkins in Hong Kong. I work for Mott McDonald in Hong Kong, so some of the big consultancies. Um, 
who have work in uh, the Middle East and, and various sort of mega projects. And when you're out here, when you're based out here, everything just turns into a mega project. So the stuff in the UK, it wasn't like small, but it was it was like, I don't know, three, four million uh, UK for some of the stuff that I was working on, on my, you know, my, myself working on it. And then here it's like, yeah, how about 31 billion? <laughs> and, it, and it's a piece of reclamation and then we're going to build an incinerator on top. And, and it's like, okay, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite different. It's a lot, it's, uh, it's, it's much faster, much, much faster. Which construction and design gets done here is uh, unparalleled compared to other places. It's not necessarily a good thing either. <laughs> it's good if you want to get paid, I suppose. That's quite good. I would love to uh, things to speed up around here. It seems like projects take a while to get started and and whatnot. Some of those larger names on the engineering side that you mentioned, we we've got some uh, insight into projects going on, working with them on some stuff, and at, you know various large projects across the U.S. They seem to be everywhere. Big names in just about every territory. Um, uh, it's interesting, uh, Jake. I didn't know that you had came from the Pacific Northwest. Dave and I had spent quite a bit of time out there. I lived there for about six or seven years, and uh, I think I've probably crossed paths with some of your previous employers at some point, I imagine. Absolutely, and we might even cross paths some, somewhat ourselves. I don't know, going to some of those events and just networking and just, you know, maybe even work together. We just don't even know it. Who knows? Yeah. That's yeah. a funny thing about this industry is it's very vast, but uh, also kind of a small, tight-knit community as well. <laughs> yeah, that, that BIM crew, is they're, they're a weird bunch of guys. <laughs> no, you know, it's crazy, but even even going from the West Coast, and, and this is kind of just speaking from experience here in the U.S., um, even the way that BIM is used here in the in the U.S. varies on on where you are, like the, the level of detail they expect, the um oh the standards that they adhere to it's all kind of all over the place but i i've seen that you know the uk very recent what have what have you guys kind of seen for a while here hong kong was practicing what i like to call backwards information modeling <laughs> still bim just a different twist <laughs> on it it's all 2d and 3d and it all the, the bim model lags behind the, the actual project drawings and the construction drawings or the design, right? And they kind of just use it as a, yeah, we had some BIM on that project and do a flash test here or there and uh, say, oh, there's a lot of problems, but we'll just sort it out on site with the, that hammer and and uh, cover that up. That was, that, that mistake's not always gonna see that. Uh, so that happened for a while. And then Hong Kong started to, to mandate BIM. Uh, and that must have started about, about two thousand eighteen. And they didn't start. They Five just, years. They, yeah. just, they just said, right, from a month from now, you're going to do BIM. That was it. They <laughs> did. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, any project <laughs> over uh, Hong Kong, $30 million, which you is can't about make a hole for that. 5 million, 4 million US. Yeah, you can't do anything for that in Hong Kong. So it's like any, basically, it's, it's almost any project. Yeah, a toilet and a park, <laughs> that'll be 30 million. <laughs> Sounds like LA. Still in a park, thirty million. Um, wow, that's that's crazy. So the backwards BIM, I like that. By the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, steal that here and use it stateside. We've got quite a bit uh, practicing backwards BIM, and again, it's regional. Uh, Pacific Northwest, West Coast, very progressive on the BIM side. You know, 
if you can spell BAM, you're making well over six figures and you're, you know, everybody will hire you and whatever. Same thing with some of the larger cities, the New York, you know, the, the Dallas. Um, but once you get outside of that, you start going a little bit more towards the inland side, mid Midwest specifically, outside of, outside of Chicago, they, they seem to be pushing BIM pretty heavy. But say you're Indianapolis, you're, you're Pittsburgh, you're Nashville. Um, it's all backwards, BIM, man. Like it's, it's it's very few and far between we find somebody that's actually putting forth the effort. And if it is, they are putting forth the effort, it's not coming from the architectural side. It's usually coming from a subcontractor who had to adopt processes for some project and just said, we're going to do this for everything. Or even a GC, even a general contractor and, and someone that self-performs. I've seen them adopt BIM because they can start using it for spooling or they can use it for scheduling. They can use it for... Um, tracking for actual scheduling and, you know, at, like poor scheduling. There's many different reasons to utilize it. Oh, yeah. A yeah, it is. Self-performing concrete, that's huge, yeah. Yeah, contractors like it out here uh, for claims because it's a very, very obvious, the design, the mistakes that uh, are evident that, that made it to the construction field while, you know, they put a lot of emphasis on having the contractors sort out a lot on site or during their phase of the project versus you know having a more robust design and, and part of that's because of timeline like designers don't necessarily or the, the engineering consultants they don't necessarily get the proper amount of time that they would need to fully flesh out the design and coordinate it so they leave a lot of that up to the contractors and that's where they pick it up and they run with the BIM and you know that's a lot of value and that's that's who we primarily do a lot of our work with out here is the main contractors and the subcontractors, you know, just doing practical yep. in, making models, doing clash tests, run coordination meetings, producing drawings. We've got a lot of experience of being in these surreal meetings where you're sitting around looking at, a, you're doing a, a, you know, a clash, a clash summary and then you've got something on the screen that's like, okay, there's a column sticking through the roof and then some guy stands up with a photo from site saying, your model's really accurate, it looks just like that on site. You know, it's like you're not meant to build it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think uh, BIM for the, you know, further as we get further downstream, it's not just me. Everybody thinks this um, is is probably the most valuable part of it. Uh, the architects and, the, you know, the engineers can play BIM all they want, work collaboratively and all that sort of stuff. But where the rubber meets the road and where it gets to be really useful is during the coordination, the clash test, uh, during the subcontractor side of things where they're actually doing their spool drawings, we're talking yeah. 40, 5D timeliners, we're talking, you know, um, uh, scanning, you know, all of this feeds into the, you know, the construction side of BIM and it makes it really useful there. I'm, I'm so used to getting, uh, you know, looking at architectural BIM models, I'm doing air quotes here. Um, and really what it is, is it's uh, fudge dimensions. Oh, oh, don't go off that, go off the drawing. Uh, you know, they edited a Revit uh, dimension somewhere. It's like, well, I can't lay off off this, lay out off this. It's not accurate. Um, you got to go off of the the actual um, the, the yep. PDF set, not the well, not the Revit model. Yeah, and I think, well, I think that's that's part of what like you guys were saying as well. I I think there's a certain point because we've seen it in our industry, and it's still here in the U.S. There's this gap in between design and construction. Whether it's not enough time, it's not enough money, it's not the knowledge of, you know, the architect to know how something is built. Um, but 
at the same time, I feel like, you know, we're, we're at a, a, a time where we're, we're trying to learn that, but we're also figuring out that the GC or the construction modeler, whoever's going to be taking that portion of it, needs to get involved sooner in the design. Like you guys were saying, as soon as we can make that like a symbiotic relationship to get started sooner, the sooner that we can start working with that data and making it constructible, less time that we have to spend later reworking that entire model. Because, I mean, if you, if you think about it, the architectural team works for, you know, six, eight, 12 weeks, whatever it is to pump out these drawings. And then you've got to take that model and those drawings and you've got to rework that model for, you know, at least two, three, four, maybe another five or six weeks to make it constructible. I mean, at, at that point, depending on the project size, yeah, the, yeah, the contract types are very limiting in that regard here in the U.S. at least, and with um, you know no mandates, it's really on the owner and on the owner's rep to kind of help drive these conversations. That said, I gotta take this time here because you are twelve hours ahead of us, and ask you, you know, what you're seeing in the future over there. Um, it, it is uh, <laughs> is the Technology and labor crises that we're, you know, talking about here in the U.S. Are those solved over there with these mandates? Is there more labor or is there less labor? Uh, and as well, as, you know, in parity with that, the technology side, we see a lot of silos over here. Are you still running into those same issues? Absolutely. Yeah, those are <laughs> those are not foreign to us. Uh, for here, the the labor force is aging and. Uh, especially on the, the construction side of it, right? Uh, and there's not a lot of new blood coming in and graduates coming in to, to those, those fields and, and learning those trades. So, you know, BIM has to play a role in filling that gap so that there is less demand for labor on site, whether that means there's more prefabrication happening or there's more coordination, so there's less mistakes, you know, and, and, and BIM is playing its role in that, but I think we're seeing very similar uh, cases as as the U.S. is with labor shortage here. Also, skill the skill levels dropping because the skill skilled operators are leaving the industry and they're not being replaced. And yep. uh, so, offsite manufacture prefabrication helps somewhat because you don't need so much skilled labor on site, which is another thing. I mean, yeah. Hong Kong insists on on using in situ concrete which means you need barbenders, and barbenders, the cost of them keeps going up and up and up. You know, and it's like, rather than say, hey, the cost of barbenders keeps going up and up and up, should we maybe, like, build things in a different way? Nah, we'll just keep on going. <laughs> we'll just keep doing yeah. the same stuff. It'll be fine. <laughs> like, no. And then they complain about not enough not enough stuff. You know? And it's like, yeah, because you keep doing the same thing over and over and hoping for a different result, which is the definition of madness. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. So with um, the, the aging issue is, is interesting because it's some, or the, the lack of skill, you know, uh, actually to me equates to age, right? Losing your estimator or whoever, the guy who's, you know, uh, been building a building for 20 years. Um, and even if we were to introduce new skilled labor today, it's still not enough to offset because there's like a 20 year gap where people weren't going to the trades is, as much as they should have been. We've been pushing college and, and other paths, but not really looking at um, these these other market segments, these other industries that people should be joining, you know, one to keep society going, going and being sustainable. 
So uh, I, I think that that gap is going to be felt everywhere. I remember when I was in high school, you know, even though I took woodworking and welding and all that sort of stuff, the number one thing is you got to go to college. You don't want to end up as a ditch digger. But at the end of the day, that ditch digger, man, that's that's great money. Like that's uh, that's no student loan debt. That's uh, you, you'd be a, a master ditch digger, right? You know, there's there's a lot of um, a lot of desirability in that. It's just not something that we've been yeah. practicing or preaching, at least not here in the states. Yeah, I think I think it's I think that we rely we got to start relying on technology for that lure, right? Especially to the younger generations. I think I, in all honesty, I think BIM is is our you know kind of sh- our, our carrot in that sense because BIM it can be used in so many different ways as you guys know BIM is a toolbox right it, it has so many different tools so many different ways that it can be utilized and when you, like you guys were talking about your 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 history with VDC man VDC I mean just visualizing these 3D buildings let's talk about in you know let's say for a second in the VR environment that's really huge um, with a lot of consumers nowadays with our kids, you know, our youth, um, VR is cool. And even, even myself, I will geek out on a VR headset, especially if you put me inside of a building and I can walk around inside of it. And, you know, you, you think about the stuff that we are delivering, we're putting in, into the hands of everybody's, you know, everybody out at the site. I mean, we have, uh, oh gosh, Joey, just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about that HP, robot that goes out and prints yeah. layout <laughs> you know it, it it prints layout at the site but there's there's so many cool things that are happening i think that we got to just continue to i think we do better we got to do better to, to teach it to market it to show the benefits of bim but also to show the flashy sides you know what i mean i mean in all reality BIM at the end of the day is the most important thing is we all know is going to be the eye is it's that information, right? I mean, that's the valuable data that's held within it. And, and once you get to a certain point in your career, I think you really start to understand that and the value that that, that model, that model has certain value, but the information in that, in that model is invaluable. It really is. And the level of, of depth of that information, um, is on, on all the sexy points of BIM and constructing technology in general, um, uh, Ideal BIM, you know, you, I keep calling you guys Ideal BIM because I like that play on words. Uh, <laughs> ideal, ideal, ideal. ideal. Yeah, no, we can, we can run with that too. <laughs> ideal BIM, right? um, you guys are into all the fun stuff. So obviously you've got to, you know, kick out drawings and documentation and, and all the boring stuff, right? But you also have all the fun stuff. I'm seeing like, you know, scan to BIM and, uh, you know, you're promoting digital twins and VR and all this stuff as well. Uh, is How much of that is being more prevalent on your projects? Well, we try to do, you know, something innovative on every project, whether it's using a new piece of software or a new process or new tool, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, most projects, we'll spin them into VR because getting them into VR right now is just, it's it's press of a button, right? That's that big easy button. So you have the likes of Enscape and the Revistos. You can just yep. pump a model right over. You don't have to do a lot of post-processing and just wham, bam, there it is. So that novelty is actually starting to, to wear off a bit. Everybody and their mother can do it out here. Uh, but 
the gaming engines, getting into Unreal and using Unity, uh, we had a project where we had to create a, a, a website. Uh, and in that website, we had to have the, the model of the new facility so that they could use it for fundraising and to explain the project. And so that people could navigate around and click on little pieces of information and it explains a little bit about the project so they don't have to keep telling everybody and everybody keep asking them questions. They're like, oh yeah, here's all the project. Here's, you know, it's out there for everybody to see. Uh, and so we, we did a project like that and we used Unity to develop it. And so you had this interactive model uh, using WebGL online. And that, that was really cool. That was a great, great bit of success that we had. That seems like a pretty cool workflow. I haven't used the the Unity engine. I mean, Twin Motions come around quite a bit recently with the inclusion now from Autodesk. But um, I think typically it was like you know outdated iframes or using something like uh, the model viewer, the large model viewer from from Forge, and trying mm -hmm. to make it work. Right. It, it, I don't know. The rendering still wasn't quite as cool. Like, I don't know. You, the gaming engine seems to hold a lot of promise. Yeah, I think that's going to bring in a lot of uh, interest, especially with graduates and, you know, kids growing up on Minecraft and uh, Roblox and all of that. Like, those skills transfer very easy into the BIM world, into the gaming engines. I think, you know, that's a lot of untapped potential. and We're going to see a lot of growth using Unreal and Unity. And I think we already, I think like, is it Revisto built on Unity yeah. or some well, it, version of it? It's, it's, it's based on, I can't remember which, which engine it sits on, but yeah, it uses one of them. Because it does all the, all of the rendering, all of the lighting is already baked in, which is why it's so fast. Man, you it, don't have to render everything. It's crazy to see the technology that kids are coming up with and how fast they're getting into stuff. I'm 38 and I'm just now getting into like 3D printing and VR and stuff. I'm 10 years too late. My kids, on the other hand, they pick that thing up and just start walking around like it's nothing, like they've been doing it their whole lives. They uh, they went from playing Roblox into building 3D models on Tinkercad to 3D printing to using Fusion and uh, playing with the Oculus headset like it was nothing. And here I am, like, tripping over myself try, trying to get it set up and, you know, figure this stuff out. The next generation of, of technology for construction, they're going to have some bright minds, um, you know, when they're not playing Let's Go Pokemon or whatever <laughs> to, to kind of carry the torch. Pokemon Go is awesome. <laughs> they have they have a lot of that here. You'll see people walking around with three or four phones on in their hand, like oh. on like a stick and like playing all of them. Yeah, that reminds me of my old office. There used to be, there was some rare Pokemon that used to appear there and it would just be like the night of the living day. You walk out and it's just like all these zombies walking around. <laughs> you know, what's happened? They do. They're all looking for this rare, rare Pokemon. Okay. You know what? It gets them outside. That's that's the big one. It gets people outside. Yeah. Heck yeah. yeah it Something awesome. I was going to say actually was I think you, what you touched on. You talked about the technology and the gaming engine, but not the gamification, which is I think that's the important part. Mm. It's not so much about whether it looks wizzy. I mean, yeah, we want to bring the sexy back to BIM and stuff, and that's true. We want it to look nice and be nice. But I think the it's the basically if you've got if you've got now AI going bananas um, and people using it happily using ChatGPT as as I know Jake does oh yeah help him do his job <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, there's so much scope there to make things a lot easier to to gamify the whole experience so it feels less like work and more like fun I think that'll help yep. a lot oh I, so, I completely agree. If you can make it more like a video game and I'm designing 
you know, throwing some pipes up somewhere. Awesome. That, that'd be great. You know, I, I, I love to play call of duty and, you know, Fortnite and all that kind of stuff. And I see how, you know, Revit or, or just different tools can be used and how the gaming engines, how, you know, it's funny, you go up some stairs and I'm looking at this building that I'm in and I'm like, hmm, this is actually put together pretty well. I wonder what they used to render this. You know, <laughs> you're getting shot yeah, at. How do get the railings to come in so clean? As long as it's not the spade. You don't, you don't get right. killed by the spade, do you? Oh, that's just like, you know. <laughs> so, Jake, what? I have to ask you. Um, yeah. uh, Simon threw you under the bus there with chat GPT. Jordan on our team is... He's pretty, you know, up on it and plays around with it. I, you know, ask it a few questions and I, you know, again, I'm, I try to be technology forward, but again, I trip over my, my two feet. Um, I have to ask you, what are some of the most useful things that you found AI, ChatGPT, you know, to, to help you out with? Yeah, sir. So one thing that I like to do is take an RFP, copy the text out, dump it in the ChatGPT and start asking it questions about the the document you know what are the deliverables uh what are the time frames just these bits of scope that we need to take out to estimate a job or a project uh, i found that very useful also spinning it back around and, and drafting up proposals it saves a lot of headache and you know you don't have to necessarily use these boilerplate templates anymore that kind of like look the same and feel the same like you could be a lot more flexible because it can just you know spit out that proposal or that scope of services or those deliverables a little bit quicker and easier uh but yeah you still need to manipulate it you still need to change it you need to put thought into it because it will give you you know some bogus answers and i see that a lot like if you just you know if you want to use it to help you write a blog article or something like that it, it, it just kind of scrapes the surface and take some information, but you really got to drill down in and you got to give it some prompts and you got to get specific and, and start talking to it back and forth uh, because it, once it has that conversation going, it, it, it feeds off of that as well. Uh, and so you can you can really develop whatever it is that you're preparing uh, and, and refine it. And that's, that's what you have to do. But yeah, definitely with proposals, uh, scopes of services, I find that very helpful and just creating documentation for the office contracts you know that helps procedures dude i i ended up so i was doing some coding there for a while joey you remember that i was working on work auto and work auto um, so brutal <laughs> worst work code auto. ever huh? i said worst code ever yeah. <laughs> so work auto utilizes um ruby and i had learned a little bit of um like json coding because really that's what work auto was using is a lot of JSON. Mm. And I started seeing J chat GPT come mm. out and I, I'm trying to figure out how to connect different APIs together. I'm trying to figure out what I might need to write to, you know, let's say the Autodesk construction cloud. If I wanted to connect to the assets API endpoint, what would I need to write to? I, I literally went to chat GPT and I asked if I wanted to connect to the Autodesk construction cloud asset API based format, how would I do that? That thing wrote me out the entire list of code. I mean, yes, it's probably right from their website, but it automatically went to it and grabbed everything there. And I, I compared it and it was it was like line for line, everything that you would need 
to write out in JSON format to connect to it. Now you obviously needed to put in information in terms of like your account ID and stuff like that, but it literally gave you the generic code written out that you could copy and paste and start to manipulate and, and go and write from. I mean, I think that in, in, in terms of also being able to analyze code, I mean, shoot, trying to put together these, these complex like codes. And then if you're missing a comma, it will, it'll throw off your, it won't work. Right. Being able mm. to, to, you know, use something like that to go back and forth with and help figure out where's my problem. Cause I mean, I could spend a couple days trying to go through code and figure out exactly what it is that's causing my issue. But if something like that can analyze it in a few seconds and tell me, Oh, Hey, you're missing this here. And, oh man, that saved me so much time. It's insane. So if you had a good compiler, it would have done that for you, man. Jeez, you've only taught me a Google. Oh, no, that's a good old part of me. I am a not a coder, so I don't even know what a compiler is, dude. I'm all I'm all over here being old man about it. <laughs> no, I mean that's what we. I mean, I find myself doing that a lot ever since you know writing Lisp routines and uh, and whatnot. Is you know you're, you're copying and oh, pasting. It's a code sticking it together until you can figure out how it actually does go together. And exactly. I think a lot of developers do that as well. A little bit. I thought Lisp was dead. No way. But they brought I it back. Lisp. <laughs> but, but, I mean, we're, we're also using, you know, Dynamo and ChatGPT oh, yeah. helps solve some of those, uh, writes some Python, uh, gives you which nodes, you know, gets you started with it. Of course, you know, Dynamo scripts are, they're, they're a bit clunky. They do work. Uh, obviously, if you can get into the API and, you know, do some C sharp or something, it, it'll, it'll come out yep. with better results, more a better, better solution. But, uh, you know, all these scripts need to be custom for each project, it seems, all the time. And so you're always monkeying with them, trying to get them to work. And, and GPT has been helping to troubleshoot those. Uh, also, just, you know, and we have our, our team. Uh, we have, you know, offices in Hong Kong, Singapore, and, uh, and India. And our team in India, you know, they do a lot of production over there. Uh, they use uh, the chatbot as well to troubleshoot Revit or to help write scripts uh, to, to do coding. So it's, it's very prevalent, and, you know, our teams are using it across the board. Do you know what I'm looking forward to, though? I'm looking forward to someone using one of these chat GPT, whichever version they're at. I don't know. We'll give it a few more iterations, and then someone will rewrite a better version of Revit. That's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> Some people don't you know it. If they, can, if they can start, I mean, we have generative design, right? But at the same time, you're giving it the parameters. There's really no... There, mm. There's some intelligence in there, but at the same time, not really. If you start to give it the artificial intelligence open up, let's say a building database for however many projects have been done in the past few years, where they've succeeded, where they've failed, you know, this project type, and you really start to give it like the parameters of the square footage, how many offices or whatever it's going to be. I mean, honestly, that in itself, if you think about it, would solve a lot of issues that we have with design and construction. So, so the uh, generative design engine Revit, not knocking it, but it is very limited. Mm -hmm. I think, like you're saying, if if you have unlimited parameters, and it's it's very niche, right? But if you have unlimited parameters, it opens it up quite a bit. You use something like Chat GPT, and you say, you know, 
used, you know, Dayton, Ohio County specs for uh, mechanical engineering for, you know, and you specify occupancy, whatever. And it just gives you those iterations. Like you just, you don't have to input any data. It just literally knows it, especially if you've got, you know, Siri on your phone or whatever, and you're just talking to it um, like a lunatic. Joey, but sounds like the next iteration. When we got into smart cities and we started talking about, you know, if somebody's looking at buying a building, eventually we want a database, right? To be able oh, to yeah. search through for that person. And they say, you know, I want this type of business, this kind of square, uh, square space, you know, what have you. And it'll essentially give them a list or tell them what these buildings are currently capable of, what the HVAC systems are rated at, what the flow rates are, you know, how the systems the current systems will actually, you know, perform for their business and what is the best investment for them without having to, you know, totally rehab something or add to it or what the better investment would be. And that's something that I think is very powerful as well that you touched on, um, as it doesn't get mentioned much. It's the natural language ability of, of things like ChatGPT, mm. which means it makes construction potentially much more inclusive and you did mention something about someone, you know, perhaps, for example, someone that is is, uh, can't, is blind or can't see well. And you go, well, they're obviously not going to have anything to do with construction. Well, why is that? If they can talk, they can they can explain things and they can come up with something. So you can have people that would normally be uh, excluded who then can have some input. Yes, sir. It'd be interesting. That is such a great use case. I, I mean, we're overlooking it, but... Uh, in our day to days, but that that means the world. Like that's that's amazing. You you've suddenly opened construction up to uh, possibilities up to somebody who hadn't has an avenue. I've grown up with disabled siblings my whole life, so like giving other people an avenue who might have been counted out. That's uh, that's a pretty huge one. So I mean, I don't know how to recover from something that heavy, but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> getting getting back to the the chat gpt side of things i don't want to again bore everybody to death with, with chat gpt but a, a few things there um so revit uh the forma or whatever integration is supposedly going to open up in may that'll be huge but there's another thing that we've been overlooking and that's called space maker and in the u.s we we don't have access to it yet um i think that'll be happening soon hopefully um, but tying in something like that, that generative design engine for buildings uh, into, again, a GIS like David was mentioning, as well as integrating BIM, existing systems, all this sort of stuff, it starts to really piece together the things that we've always, you know, uh, we, the shining star, right? The things we wanted to get to with smart cities, uh, being able to not just know for um, uh, a demographic standpoint, you know, where we should put the next Best Buy or or a Bass Pro Shop or what have you, but also to know what's the lowest cost, you know, what's the best use and design case, you know, what what types of things should we put in this store based off of, you know, psychographics. There's, we, we always argue against, uh, you know, big data, but big data already exists. Now somebody needs to, to start culminating those things and finding a way to piece it all together. And it seems like something like an AI engine is probably the perfect thing. And then, Onto the other part, the Dynamo side of things, I agree with you. They are clunky. They can solve amazing problems, but at the end of the day, they can also destroy your model. So never work on an, on an active model. But also, um, the Revit API is so much cleaner. And if there is something out there 
that you want to do in Revit, somebody else has probably already thought of it, and it's for free on GitHub. Give it a try. Yeah, that's right. What I, what I was open to to look forward to this ChatGPT is somehow being able to integrate ChatGPT or an AI model like that into the actual BIM model so that, for example, you could say, you know, please, you know, extract out the quantity of the beams or the, the volume of the concrete inside of it. And it just gives you the value back. So you can start to interrogate these models with, you know, prompts or with cues instead of having to go through and set up the schedule and then make sure it's all in there and then format it all correctly. Like if you could just ask back, you know, what are, what's the total volume of the concrete slabs for uh, floor or level six of the project? You know, and, this, and it just gives it back. That'd be great. Really smart too, because it's the natural language right. plus semantic data. So it's data that knows what it is, or or it knows what other data is, and it's not just yep. you know just stuff. It actually knows, and it starts to be able to piece it together. That, that, that oh my gosh, you guys think on another level. This is what it's like to be twelve well, hours ahead. So, <laughs> so think about. You think about something like that and then you start connecting it with the other, you know, let's let's talk about the other web hosted um, APIs out there, such as uh, a weather channel. Right. And we're going to go ahead. We're, we're planning on pouring this week. It's going to look ahead to the weather and actually go ahead and look back and maybe adjust your overall schedule based on. Don't, that's don't trust right. the weather, Dave. Don't trust the weather. Come on, man. <laughs> they're, they're wrong. Ninety five percent of the time. Maybe there's a there's a. Maybe they take that into account somehow. Yeah. Well, well, what I'm saying is, you know, we, we talk about Alice a lot, right, Joe? And that's, you know, um, um, generative construction. And it really looks at the, you know, like the overall construction project, analyzes the schedule, thinks about, you know, what could potentially go wrong, how you can avoid um, potential risks, or if things happen, how, you know, what you can do to get back on schedule, what things you can go ahead and, and um, plan to do to catch up or get ahead. What items, like let's say it is raining or it's snowing, what things can you do inside of the building or different places of the site while that, you know, while you're waiting on that area? Essentially unleashing intelligence onto our project to tell us, hey, you know, this has come up, this is an issue. How do we adjust? Or what what overall, because you know, somebody's got to take a step back and somebody's got to make a decision that next day. Work's got to get done. They've got to say, let's go ahead and do this. Why not use something overnight to analyze all that, whether it's you know, pictures, it's images, it's recent projects we've done, it's the data itself and different endpoints that it can reach out to to tell you, you know what, your best, you know, day is gonna be spent doing this and accomplishing these tasks on the schedule. Man, that's that's like one step away from though like your your you know robot overlords telling you what you have to do for the day, man. <laughs> like it's, it's very um sky skylab, what's the terminator? I bet, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah Skylabs, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I for one welcome on you robot overlords. <laughs> this is on record. Hear They're listening. Don't worry. <laughs> no, I mean, going go back to what you were saying, it's a very, very good point, especially with weather. Here in Hong Kong, we have adverse weather conditions. Uh, we have just torrential rain. They call it, I believe, black rain, uh, where that will shut down your, your project site. Uh, they also have typhoons, which will shut down your project site for days on end. And yep. so 
Good. Just to be clear, the rain isn't black in Hong Kong. Yeah, it's... Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just a lot. It's just a lot. It just blacks everything out. But yeah, having having that uh, that AI, that assistance, or that, that, that brainstorm, helping you secure the site, making the site safe, shut it down, all, all that is has, has great potential, and the bots could certainly help us. Uh, another item that I, I would like to see more AI on is like, for example, you're making a drawing, you're tagging all your doors, and then it being able to to read the drawing and saying like, oh, well, you've tagged all these other doors in, on this drawing, but this door is not tagged. And it being able to identify and also potentially fixing those items. I see a big potential for that for QAQC with the with AI in the future. No, even like, the, like being no. able to OCR essentially the model and yes. see that you don't have this labeled as a door type family, but it is clearly a door. Um, and for whatever reason you had it, you know, as a non-door type family, but it still picks it up or you just, you know, neglected to select that door type of family. And we could gamify it and we could make it clippy and you could say, hey, it looks like you're building a building. You know, it looks like, <laughs> it looks like you want a door. Which would be nice. That's coming. That's, that's, yeah, that's coming. That's we'll coming. see that. Sure. Clippy. Uh, we, we'll we'll, we'll Bimmy, right? right? We'll call him Bimmy. I'm, I'm doing it. You've got the AI <laughs> in the Microsoft, haven't you? Uh, what's it called? Pilot or something. What's it called? There's, a, there's an AI thing for Microsoft that comes with uh, Office. Cortana? Not, not Cortana, but it's like uh, it, was, it was being rolled out as this. It's like, I can't remember what it was called, but it was like. Uh, uh, Something like uh, co-pilot or something they're calling it. Have you heard of that? Well, you know, now it's going to be very, uh, its feelings are hurt that you didn't call it out by name. So um, your corporate overlords aren't going to be happy. Yeah, it is co-pilot, by the way. Yeah, okay, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But not used it. I haven't used it. And, and ChatGPT officially is, is geo-blocked in Hong Kong, so you need a VPN or something to actually use it here. Yeah, we, we are using it illegally. Well, it's not illegal, right? It's, just, it's not illegal. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that uh, OpenAI haven't rolled it out here, that's all. And so we have to use it by another method. That's Tap it. twice if I need to edit this out. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's not illegal, I don't think. All right. <laughs> but to ask Boy. you guys, so to kind of bring this in, I mean, this is I feel like this has been a great episode. And again, thank you guys so much for jumping on with us. If we could ask you guys, where do you like what is what is your wish list for BIM? What do you see in the next, let's say, two to five years, or where do you wish that we could be with BIM? And the answer can't be give us all the projects. I wish there was no <laughs> bloody BIM. No more BIM. I'm sick of it. <laughs> That'd be nice. Well, to be fair though, <laughs> to be fair, we shouldn't really need BIM managers. We should just need people that know what they're doing. And we don't need this separate team of BIM managers and consultants. So we make our money off sure. the fact that people don't really want to know this stuff. Mm. But if, if, if you have, for the examples we've made about kind of opening the field, lowering, lowering the, uh, the threshold to entry for people by, because of chat GPT and things that do more for you so that they take the drudgery out of it, then you can have a bit more fun, be a bit more creative. Uh, and then uh, at the same time, you know, you get more people into the industry from different backgrounds. That's what we need. We, need, we don't just... You've got the traditional professions where you start off, you go through school and you become an engineer or you become an architect. And those are yep. fine. And you don't need architects and you don't need engineers. But 
we also need people that really understand, for example, acoustic technicians and stuff that understand the effects of acoustics on buildings. And uh, we need people that know all these are like some quite specific things, and that's not covered in the architecture schools or you know or the engineering schools. You need to then go and specialise. Um, and you want, I, you know, I'd like to see more people that have like a physics background or I don't know any background is now relevant because you you just sort of squish it all together and then okay, let's see what happens. We we get new combinations. Yeah, even with green buildings, if you have a degree in biology, man, come on. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. A good example. Build that water and grow some plants. Yeah, you understand why your green roof isn't growing. You know, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> well, not only that, you understand the materials that are inside of your wire, and you can only use certain materials on your wire because it doesn't meet your, you know, uh, lead whatever certifications. And now you need, you know, uh, uh, more economical or energy efficient. Like there's a lot of room for different avenues in here uh, inside inside of the BIM space and in construction in general. We just think of construction as, oh, you know, Joe's got to swing a hammer today or, or you know, he's working the jackhammer. We don't actually think about um, the math and the science that goes into it. There are framers that know more about geometry than I ever will. Uh, do you know a land surveyor? um lives in geometry like i when they're talking in calculus like they're talking tangents and curves i can't do that crap to save my life today i'm you know i'm pulling off the old calculator oh yeah i mean shoot joe one of the guys that we met this guy he was a uh he was a plumber and this guy was a journeyman plumber and he hopped into revit and he he, and he taught himself dynamo and oh, I know you're talking about. Yeah. as he's going and drawing pipe and we've talked about this a few times, but this guy, I mean, he's he's a, he's a journeyman plumber and he jumps into Revit, does Dynamo and, and has it create a trench, essentially create a topo surface so far it, underneath the pipe as he draws it around. Not, not only did it create a topo surface based off of the civil 3D file and where he laid the pipe, it actually snapped points. Did all of the geometry created, you know, the, the tins, the triangles and everything. Polyline, everything. Gave yep. him a setback distance of how far he can dig out, how wide his trench needs to be. And he did it all on Dynamo, like the first iteration of Dynamo for Revit that came out where it was a standalone application. And when we asked to interview him, he's like, man, I, I don't want to do this. I'm just a plumber. <laughs> like, That's like, really I'm just a plumber. <laughs> I was like, whoa. Yeah. Oh, Great how when when that experience starts to translate over. I mean that's that's a huge thing. You guys give we give a lot of, of these guys credit when they're coming up and you know they know how to design and revit, they know how to push buttons, but the overall experience is the journeyman that's retiring. You know, anybody that's that's getting out that's actually physically done this with their hands knows how this goes together. Um, we need that experience going back. I know. You know, a lot of them will go into the trade schools. Unfortunately, I've seen a lot of them haven't even been going back. Like they're not returning to teach. They're just retiring out. And it's like we're losing that knowledge. And I think, unfortunately, without something like, you know, AI or some kind of database that we can reach back to, um, we're going to have that huge gap. Pay, pay them an hourly wage, like a ridiculously high hourly wage to um, sit in front of the computer and just chat with chat GPT so we can record and know how to do this stuff to the next person. <laughs> but guys, thank you so much for jumping on an episode with us. Um, you know, before we, before we go, I realize that 
we we did a little bit of background, but we didn't really talk about you you guys as a company. Do you want to take a minute to to tell our listeners about yourselves and then? Oh, Jacob, love this. Oh, this oh, yeah. what he lives for. This oh, yeah. So just a little shameless plug, right? <laughs> so um, we're a BIM consultancy, and really what we focus on is the day to day BIM of projects, and mostly for you know contractors, subcontractors. Uh, we just really focus on BIM management, modeling, and coordination of large projects, uh, but really projects of any size. And we have our team here in Hong Kong, uh, a great team. They're out on site every day coordinating, working out the projects. And then we have our, our, our team in India, which is about 100 men strong now. And they're doing production work, uh, building models, clash analysis, writing scripts, producing drawings, doing visualization, and supporting our teams who are out on site uh, delivering these projects, working with the contractors or working in engineers' offices or designers' offices. And we also do a bit of outsourcing for the rest of the world uh, with, our, with our India team for the UK, for the US, for Australia. Awesome. So you guys got a pretty large footprint and you've got a lot of experience to talk through. Um, I, I, again, I just want to thank you guys for coming on. I know that I want to have you guys on again. I feel like you guys have a wealth of knowledge within not only just BIM itself, but the construction industry and how BIM ties with that. And that is a big part of our podcast. It's a big thing of what we like to talk about is, you know, the different parts of BIM, how it can be integrated, how it can be used. Um, so I just want to appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for, for joining us on an episode. And I look forward to having you guys on again in the future. And, and not yeah, only that, you fit the culture of a true Bimaholic. You uh, are drinking uh, at 9 a.m., which is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, again, thanks thank for having us. And, and I hope next time, you know, we can be a bit more pointed with a, with a topic or a solution. I know today was a bit general, some banter back and forth and poking fun, but we had a really good conversation and, and definitely uh, looking forward to the next one. Yeah, these are the fun conversations. Well, thank you all and uh, look forward to the next one. Thank you very much. Thank you.